Are you listening? And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado. We're here on Monday, December 19th, a couple of days after Oregon State's win at the Las Vegas Bowl at Allegiant Stadium over the Florida Gators. A 30-3 to swamping of the team from the swamp down in Gainesville, Oregon State gets to 10 wins for the third time in program history. And Angie and I here, Angie and I are here to recap all of the action, talk about the week that was in Las Vegas and, and the impact of the win and how this relates to Oregon State's program trajectory. But Angie, as we check in two days after the bowl game and we're gearing up for recruiting season, what's life like at the Machado household? Well, it's good. We got back early. So my I know you flew back late after the game on Saturday. I flew back. My alarm went off at 3.45, Carter, on uh, Sunday morning. So um, early morning, the flight was full of Beaver fans, um, met a few more blitzers at the airport, so that was kind of fun. Um, and now um, it is seriously nonstop recruiting. My phone has not stopped. Carter asked me how I was able to retweet something so quick, and I told him it's what happens when you have two or three screens up and phone and everything. It's been a busy, busy day. But um, excited to get into this pod and so much excitement and uh, – positivity right now surrounding Oregon State football. A matter of seven seconds is all it took for Angie to to retweet my tweet about this episode going live. I, I texted her immediately and I knew it's probably because she had multiple screens going <laughs> and her phone on her because recruiting season is so busy at Beaver Blitz. And I know Angie's working the phones like crazy, getting all of this insight that you do not want to miss at beaverblitz.com. Uh, so we'll use that as an opportunity to plug the site because we do have a 50% off deal that runs through the end of the year. Take advantage of it. Get in for early signing period. Um, all of the bull recap action that we are handling over the next couple of weeks. And Angie, we're going to be recapping this season for a long time. But right now, we're talking about win number 10 in particular. And it comes in the Las Vegas Bowl, Oregon State's second bowl, of course, in as many years. Uh, but the first bowl win since 2013. And, and that's one of the many firsts that I want to highlight here as we kind of dive into the impact of this game and some of the superlatives that come with it. It's the third 10 win season in Oregon state football history. It's the first bowl victory. Like I just said, since the 2013 Hawaii bowl first win ever over a current member of the sec, the Beavers have two wins over Missouri, uh, but they were in the big 12 at the time. So first win over an active sec opponent, and the Beavers are now 1-0 against teams from the state of Florida, which, as we know, Angie, uh, from our side recruiting, the, the recruiting element, absolutely huge to get on TVs in a state where Oregon State has kind of started to uh, to, to weed through some of the talent there and bring it out west uh, to go 1-0 all time against that state. You know, it's, um, it's good exposure. It is. It's huge. Um, I know we're going to jump on here about what all this stuff means, but you know, I, I sat back and reflected on the flight home yesterday. I actually put this win number two all time right behind the Notre Dame Fiesta Bowl win, that 41 to nine win, just because of the op opponent. And you can hear Florida fans saying they were down a bunch of guys. They still have a ton of athletes. Their offensive line was pretty much intact. Their receivers were intact. 
this win should be able to pay dividends for a long time down the road. And you're right with recruiting. I actually, in the airport, I was texting um, a couple, there's three commits right now from the state of Florida, texting those guys just to see, get their thoughts and, and to hear that, you know, them write back and say, oh my gosh, all my friends thought Florida was going to, you know, kill the beeves and just to sit back and watch and, and be able to go back and, and talk some smack back to those, to their friends was, was a big thing. I think it's definitely a statement for Oregon State, but not only the Beavers, but the Pac-12 uh, to, to go up against an SEC opponent, regardless of record, regardless of how many opt-outs the team had, um, and to to thoroughly dominate. You know, this game was 30 to nothing with 40 seconds left in the game. Uh, Oregon State dominated at the point of uh, a point of attack, dominated in the trenches. We'll get into some of the numbers later, uh, but they're eye-popping. Oregon yeah, State I mean- got into the backfield defensively at a rate that it hasn't in years um and and offensively i mean dominated in 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 the running game and and got more out of its passing game than we'd seen in recent weeks and really it was it was a thorough undoing of the gators in all three phases yeah and that's and that's something you know the sec takes so much pride in in the in the trench play and the offensive and defensive fronts and i i was curious to see how oregon state would be able to to match up with that um just because they are so big physical fast um and oregon state dominated um, it was huge. And, you know, you can talk all of Florida's opt-outs, but Oregon State was without their two two of their starting wide receivers. Uh, remember, tight end Luke Musgrave has been out. Um, they are with the second string quarterback. I mean, we Oregon State could go on and on, too, for just as many, uh, you know, guys out that they were used to having. But I really do think the play up front, both offensive line and defensive line, really was an eye-opener. And, and the Pac-12 should take note of that, too. I mean, when I look at Oregon and some of their good seasons and then they go up against an SEC opponent and they, they can't compete. I mean, you can't, they can't even come close to dominating in the trenches and Oregon State did that against Florida. We're talking the impact of the win right now. And I, I think it's a good opportunity to bring in one of the questions from the YouTube chat um, from Ty, who asks, how will this season help recruiting? Is it more appealing to high school recruits or transfers? Um, and, and this definitely falls into the, the impact of the win uh, category as we talk about how Oregon State is now perceived on a national, uh, you know, on, on the national mm-hmm. stage, um, the, the momentum that the Beavers can take into recruiting season and how attractive they might be for potential transfers, especially as we've talked about Angie for so long at the quarterback position. How much do you think this win and this season now at, at 10 wins? Um, positions Oregon State well on the recruiting trail. Oh, I think it's huge. And and like, that's just it. I think this is going to come into play so much more in the future, especially if Oregon State can take this as a foundation and just build upon it. Um, I also love, and I, I don't think it's been talked about much, the fact that this game was, you know, called by Per Curb Street, um, Pat McA- Mac- McAfee, um, that whole ESPN crew. You think about it, now, next season, all game day, you know, now Kirk Herbstreit has a little more insight on Oregon State. He sat down and talked with the coaches. He watched the un- dismantling um, with his own eyes. Uh, I think Oregon State has some new believers out there. Like I said, now they have to parlay that and actually build upon that success. But we're seeing them do that on the recruiting front, not only keeping the guys that are committed, but then building on that with portal guys. Right. Yeah, I think as we talk about how this leads into next year, you know, it's it's very likely Oregon State opens the, the season as a top 20, maybe top 15 team in 2023. Taking advantage of that and, and building off it is 
you know, that's, that's something that we'll talk about down the line, but getting there is, is half the battle. And again, it's something that Oregon state hasn't done in, in about a decade now, since they had that nine and three, uh, well, nine and four, if you include the Alamo bowl season back in 2012, Um, Oregon state back at that level. And if you go back a decade, we saw Oregon State fizzle out after that. That was the end of the Mike Riley era. That was the beginning of the downturn. That was kind of the, you know, it was the pinnacle of, of Oregon State football really in, in that, you know, 20, you know, 2002 to, to 2012 decade. Um, but from that point on, it was it was downhill. And now we'll see if Jonathan Smith and his staff and um, the, the players who are coming back can make this the floor or the expectation. Um, and I think that's going to be the key that you and I talk about for the next nine months is how can Oregon state build this momentum and, um, and, and carry it into next year. And, and you Carter and, and I, both of us have played sports um, and have been parts of, of winning teams. And that honestly is, is one of the hardest things I think for a coach to do is, you know, it's one thing to, to use that momentum of, you know, even last year's Utah state loss in the, in the LA bowl, use that as, as fuel for off season training and, and really getting the guys to buy in. It's, it's another level then to get them to keep them there and build even more. Um, that's a really hard task. And it's something that's what the great coaches have. That is what the coach K's and um, you know, some of those great coaches of all time have that ability to get even more out of their, out of their group. And so this is where coach Smith is going to really earn his keep. I think is he's shown that he can get you from the basement to being competitive and then from being competitive to being in, you know, I wouldn't, since they didn't beat the upper echelon of the Pac-12, I, I still think that is kind of where you you need yeah. to kind of push toward. But he's gotten them right to that that door. Now it's about busting through that door and and competing now for the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, that was the team goal this year was to to compete for the Pac-12 title, and of course the yeah. Beavers came up just short of it. Um, but you look back on the season now and you say, man, Oregon State's a, a win at Washington away probably from getting to the yeah. Pac-12 title. Or USC. I mean, yeah. I mean, right. both those games, if they bounce the other way, it, it, you're left with a, a couple what ifs. And and those are one win games that, you know, you think, okay, well, if we improve in the off season, losing by a score to these teams, maybe next year we go in and win by a score or, you know, that's, I think that like that is, is the next step. It's the next check off of the to-do list is to actually get into Pac-12 title contention, which I think, to be fair, Oregon State was in title contention yes. this year. Yeah. But the Beavers were always one rung below that title contention, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that legitimate title contender. Because um, you look tier. at it, and it's really, I, I consider it was, the, the top tier was Utah, Washington, uh, uh, USC, USC, and Oregon. UCLA. They beat Oregon, but they couldn't get over the over the threshold of beating those other guys. Yeah. Close, yeah. but just not quite there yet. Speaking more of the, the program trajectory here, I, I think we should shift the discussion to Jonathan Smith and, and this staff and um, how this now is, you know, sitting here at, at 10 and three, I think this is the highest point Oregon state football has been at since I would say 2001. Um, you could go back to the 2009 season, the last time they had a 10 win campaign, um, but this has the feeling, Angie, you and I have talked about this throughout the season. This has the feeling of one of those, like, okay, we're building up to the t- 2000 Fiesta Bowl, you know, that where you can see that rise over the span of a couple of years. So it feels like the Beavers are back at that point. Of course, Jonathan Smith, the quarterback of that 2000 team uh, that went to the Fiesta Bowl 
And now that he's done it as a coach, Angie, I, I asked this in the post-game press conference about how Smith kind of lived up to that promise that he delivered during uh, his inter- introductory press conference mm-hmm. five years ago about how it's been done at Oregon State and it can happen again. Um, and now he has brought Oregon State back into the national limelight, potentially a top 10 team at the end of the season, a 10-win team with a win over an SEC opponent in the Las Vegas Bowl. When you look back at where Oregon State was, and and particularly where Jonathan Smith was as a coach in 2017 going into 2018, how much do you think that he has grown as a coach, and how impressed are you with where he started versus where he's at now five years in? Oh, I think, I, I think it's huge. And we've talked about this in the lodge and I had a really long post um, a couple of weeks ago when we were on the anniversary of his five-year hiring. If you remember, he came in to a team that finished one and 11 when he took over. Um, the head coach had quit mid season on those guys. The culture was probably the worst I had seen ever around a football team. Um, guys didn't want to play football anymore. It wasn't fun. They, the locker room was divided. It was horrible. And so for him, to, and I and I actually went on record. I actually ran into Scott Barnes on after the press conference in Las Vegas Bowl, waiting for the elevator. And I, I told him, I said, you know, I I was a critic. You know, I, I really didn't think or that he was possibly ready to be the head coach of a Power Five team. Um, I thought it was. I was worried it was Oregon State taking the inexpensive route of yeah. of getting an alumni that they could pay um, less than a, a big name. And I told I said told him I'm wrong. I was very much wrong. Um, Smith has taken this team. The culture is better than any time I've seen it. Um, these guys have each other's back and it's not, I hear it from everybody. I I met so many parents and such this weekend and you heard it Carter from everybody we spoke with. It was their kids, even if they were freshmen or red shirts or, um, offense, defense, special teams, it didn't matter. They talked about just how, how much fun they're having and it's, it's a brotherhood. So that has been, that was the biggest obstacle Smith had overcome and he did it. Um, I think he stuck with Tim Tibisar, maybe two years too long, a year too long. Yeah. Um, but that that is a young coach um, trying not wanting to make, I think, the hard decisions that um, was remedied. And look, you know, now I, I think that is where he's grown the mo- most now is 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 in that coaching room and hiring and surrounding himself. Now he, he gets to try to keep those guys. He's got, you know, keep a Brian Lindgren around. Keep, you know, Trent Bray's already been um, awarded a contract extension and a raise. Mahalachek, I, I think when you look at him, you, Oregon State's going to lose some coaches, some of those young guys that, that want to move up and, and do different things. So I honestly think that you have to keep the core of Lindgren, Mahalachek, Bray, those guys intact. Um, I love Coach Blue, what he brings. Um, but I think that has been one of the reasons, too, that Oregon State has seen success now on the recruiting trail. You know, you look at they just offered Mason Tufaga out of a linebacker out of Utah in the portal. I think Beavs have a really good shot with him simply because of the relationships that were built years ago. And the Beavs are still there to, to take advantage of that. That's a key element is that staff continuity. And and the fact that Oregon state really for all of the progress that the Beavers have made and and for all of the wins they've racked up over the last couple of seasons. Now they have retained a lot of that staff. And you see that reflect also on the roster where Oregon state has only lost what now four guys uh, with Jonathan Riley entering the portal today um, to to the transfer route this year. And, and going back to last year, I mean, Oregon State only lost what probably, I, I can't remember, 10 to 12. Yeah. And I think half of them were walk-ons. And, and so, you know, Oregon State is not only retaining coaches, but retaining its high-level talent as well. Damian Martinez uh, announced on Twitter after the bowl game that 
you know, he's committed to coming back. And I think that's key and uh, silenced some of maybe the, the questions about Oregon state being able to retain high level talent. So Oregon state keeping its core intact mm-hmm. on the coaching staff and on the roster. And, and you see that continuity really come to fruition uh, in, in seasons like this. And again, the, the task now is when you lose some of your six and seven year veterans and some of the guys who have been here for so long, can you replenish that? Yeah. Um, and I, I think Oregon state now is, has positioned itself to do that. The transfer portal helps, but Oregon state is recruiting at a higher level than it has uh, in, in about a decade. Um, and, you know, I, I think again, that continuity shows up in, in so many different areas and is a key reason why Oregon state continues to win games. Um, Angie, anything else trajectory-wise of the program? You look back and and you say, you know, we've we've seen this area improve so much that you want to highlight because we do have to move on and talk about the game. But um, I, I think one of my key takeaways from this game is is not that Oregon State won it, but it's what the win means moving yes, forward. Yes, I agree. And, I, and, I agree. And how reflective we can be on where Oregon State was a year two five ago. Yeah, and I think, like you said, beating an SEC team. Um, first of all, the Pac-12 struggles year in and year out in bowl games against SEC opponents. Um, they are considered the top conference in the country. Um, and Oregon State, for all intents and purposes, completely shut out um, Florida. And so that's like just the ramification. I mean, like I said, I equal it to pretty damn close to beating Notre Dame 41-9 to in, in Tempe. Um, I think we'll see dividends paid years down the road. People will be talking about this game completely agree. Uh, let's talk about the game atmosphere because Angie, of course, you and I were both there. Uh, the, the Beaver Blitz squad made the trip down to Las Vegas on Wednesday and we were we were not alone as far as people representing Oregon State. Um, Beaver Nation showed out in full force in Las Vegas. I tweeted out, I think it was the day before the game, that I had seen hundreds of Oregon State fans walking around Vegas and at that point, three Florida fans. Yeah. Um, we saw that discrepancy again at the the fan fest the day before the game. And then of course it showed up on game day as well at Allegiant where, you know, there are maybe one, two, 3000 Florida fans. But I think by my estimate, I would say close to 10,000 wearing orange and black. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And then, and then hearing the Beaver fans yell and, and scream, they announced Florida and I heard more booze than cheers. Yeah. It, it was, it was funny. I looked at you and I was like, wow, there is a lot more Beaver fans here. Yeah, Clint Moses in the YouTube chat says, I heard it was 75-25 Beavs to Gators. I think that's about right. Um, it was, yeah, and, and like I said, it showed up all week too. You know, you're walking around the hotels and the casinos and down the strip and, you know, there's Oregon State fans everywhere. Um, it was really impressive that, that Oregon State showed out the way it did. And again, that's a huge reason why the Las Vegas Bulls selected Oregon State over UCLA. We had these discussions throughout the season of, you know, is Oregon State an attractive option to Bulls because it is in a small market and, you know, because the Beavers aren't, you know, this huge alumni base. Well, this is how you get yourself into better Bulls by showing up like this. And I think, man, I'll tell you, the Holiday Bowl is going to take note of that. The Alamo Bowl yeah. will take note of that. And, you know, it's again, it's the fan base has so much control over team success and NIL and, and in bowl selection and, and things like that. And you saw Beaver Nation come through. Yeah, I mean, it was huge. And, you know, I, I look at that. And you, you brought up the the um, Holiday Bowl in San Diego, and I know many Beaver fans were really bummed that Oregon State wasn't selected to play that game. I will argue that this win over Florida is a 1,000% better than 
playing North Carolina and San Diego. Absolutely. For recruiting, for momentum, for everything we just talked about, this was a way, way better bowl for Oregon State. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, when it was announced, I said, I think Oregon State's going to be really happy with this thing, looking uh, looking back on it. Um, Allegiant Stadium, Angie, from your perspective, we talked about this in the press box, about how it compared to SoFi Stadium last year for the LA Bowl. Um, game day atmosphere-wise, I, I think Allegiant far and away was better. I, I think there were more Oregon State fans in Vegas than there were in LA last year. And um, obviously we were still on the tail end of the heat of the pandemic at that point. And, you know, there were other factors for sure, but um, the, the, the atmosphere at Allegiant stadium, the, the coordination of everything, all of the in-game entertainment, I felt like the experience, frankly, at, at Allegiant was, um, was one of the best stadium atmospheres that I have felt, even though it wasn't full and even yeah. though it's a bowl game, um, and you know, it, it misses some of that. Uh, some of the rich tradition that comes with, you know, playing a game on a college campus. Um, that was still one of the better stadium experiences I've ever had. And that's what I've heard from the fan base as well. Oh, I thought so too. You know, I mean, SoFi was amazing. Like I love the big screen around and um, we had better sight lines though at um, Allegiant, but mm-hmm. just the overall, I, I felt that Allegiant was more organized or, you know, the Vegas bowl was more organized. Um, we We knew where to go for things. <laughs> it was yeah. way easier to, Access. It goes a long way. It goes we, a long way. We don't I mean, take those things for granted. Um, so no, I, I just thought overall, I thought it was great. Um, I mean, I thought LA was good too. I, it's just such an interesting, it's so different, right? Cause LA bowl yeah. is over near the airport near LAX. There's not a lot to do once you're over there. So you're either driving in or you're um, staying at the airport. Whereas Allegiant stadium is right near the strip. It's across the freeway from, from all of the hotels, all the action. It's near the airport. Everything is so compact. Um, it makes getting around super easy. Um, I, I thought, I thought Beaver fans had a great time. That's exactly what I've heard again from the fan base and everybody that I've heard from talk to, um, nothing but great things to say about their experience. Yeah. I thought the venue itself, like you said, Angie was absolutely first class. It's one of the newest and nicest stadiums in the world. So the expectations were high, uh, but it definitely delivered. I know you were fired up about the pregame DJ, which is a great touch. He was um, good. Hang on. I'm <laughs> a second. Sorry guys, I had to send a, I had to send a message real quick to a recruit. Just um, maybe I'll get some kind of breaking news here in a minute. But there you go. Sorry. Things are always moving this time of year. <laughs> yes, um, at, yes. At Beaver Blitz. Um, the in-game entertainment was solid. They had one of those on-field MCs, which you know sometimes those come with mixed reviews. But uh, you and I said, who was it? Who we we um we said his. Well, voice you actually saying like, you actually saying I think it Louis Armstrong is who you're referring um yeah it's a wonderful world that kind of deep um kind of frog-like voice and i don't say that in a bad way i just know that real baritone i think that's who you were comparing him to carter saying and i don't think he's gonna going to do it here for everybody but he did in the press box for me i I was just comparing i was just comparing voices as well but then when Um, he did that i couldn't get it out of my head and i was singing it's a wonderful it's a wonderful world or whatever every i kept singing it in my head so yeah, no, it was it was a nice touch for sure. Um, the team runouts too were awesome with the yeah the the pyrotechnics and and the fog machines and it was um, inside. I, I thought that, yeah, I, I thought they did a great job of yeah. getting the 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 fans on on both sides engaged. The marching bands, of course, were both there. Um, Angie, one thing about that stadium that I didn't expect that I, I thought was a little odd. I don't know if you noticed this because I don't think we talked about it. Was the acoustics? Like oh, was- we were when you're standing on the field. You can't hear the PA. You can't hear. No. And when you're so, up, up in the higher levels, 
you can't hear the marching bands down below yeah. and, and even the fans sound a little muted. It's really interesting. It, it was super interesting. So um, I was going to mention, I, you know, if I had one critique, I think if I was the Vegas Bowl, I would have like maybe blacked out the whole upper third deck um, and yeah. concentrated everybody a little lower. But um, I, I will give hat tot a hat tip to Florida's band because they did win the battle of the bands that day. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. They look like they had like 200, 250 people in that band. It was crazy. It was definitely twice the size of Oregon. Yeah. States. But um, the acoustics were weird. So you're right. When So it's an open air press box. So we could hear everything, but it was not super loud from up in the press box. And then we were down in the field for the trophy presentation and we couldn't hear what was being said. It was, it was odd. I kind of wished I was up higher then so I could hear what was going on. Yeah, it made me wonder like how much the crowd noise can impact the game yeah. at that stadium because if you can't hear anything on the speakers, it makes me wonder if you can hear any noise from those upper yeah. level seats coming down. So um, I don't know. I guess that's a question for the players who were involved, but I, I know yeah. they don't necessarily listen to the crowd noise anyways, but um, just kind of one of those those quirks of the stadium that I noticed. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, Angie, our whole week in Las Vegas was an absolute blast. I, I want to take the people behind the scenes a little bit and tell them what we were up to because, um, you know, I know we didn't necessarily have as much like game day content at Beaver Blitz this week leading up to it. I I certainly didn't publish as many uh, pieces as I normally do, but behind the scenes, Angie, we were busy with um, media events, the fan fests, networking opportunities for us and, you know, and and selling the site Um, and, and frankly, just enjoying Las Vegas for, for what it is. Um, as as far as you know your ability to go have a good time uh it was it was a fun week and it was a busy week and i'm still paying for it <laughs> i've slept until noon the last two days but i finally feel recharged um the amount of sleep i got the last couple of days versus the amount of steps i took is probably at an all-time wacky ratio um but Andy, the steps were crazy yeah, yeah. um if, if you had a highlight from the week what would you that that's not the game a, a highlight not including the game you know, um, I what, love, what, what would you, pick? you know, I have to say, I love when we are around Beaver fans, Beaver, Beaver Blitz members um, to be, whether that was at the pep rally um, at the team hotel, um, whether that was afterward, we kind of had a little informal meetup at the lobby bar um, or after the game, by the time I finally got out and then back to the room, dropped myself off and went, walked over to Mandalay Bay, kind of the unofficial Blitz meetup was, had kind of migrated over to a, a different area. But again, I met more Blitz members and to, to meet Blitz members and, and get a put a face to a name and be able to tell stories and, and laugh and, and meet other people. I One man I met, um, Carter, you, you and I were at the it was pep rally, met a gentleman. I thought he was a player parent or grandparent. Turned out he wasn't. Just start talking to the guy. Um, he sees my Beaver Blitz sweatshirt, asked about it. And uh, I told him about the site and he gets right on his phone and he signed. He goes, I signed up right now. And I. People tell me that all the time, like, oh, I signed up. And you're like, okay, I'll wait till I see. I, we got in the car to go back to the hotel. And I was like, dang, he did sign up. So um, it's been, super, that was super fun. I think that to me is the highlight is, is just being able to meet Beaver fans and and see old friends. And, um, you know, it's I've been doing this a long time, 16 years now and almost 17, actually. So um, to see old faces and new um, and spread the the Beaver Blitz gospel, I guess, if you, if you will. Yeah, the teams arrived on Monday. There was a media event there on Tuesday. They had a practice and community service. Um, so we missed out on some of that action. But then we arrived late Wednesday night. Yeah. 
um, checked into our hotels, what, probably 1 a.m.? Yeah, it was two for uh, us, but we had to wait yeah. for luggage. Yeah, it was uh, it was a very late night, but yeah. then we got right to work on Thursday. Uh, Angie and I were both grinding away on the computers. I took a little self-guided tour of the, the area around Allegiant Stadium to kind of get my bearings. I'll tell you what, for all the fans who went inside and, and saw what that stadium's like from the interior, like they can tell you it's impressive, but the outside... The resemblance to the Death Star, the fact that they have a, an, an area outside to grow the natural grass for the NFL games, um, in, incredible facility. And and it is, again, amazing in, in so many ways what they had built there. Um, Angie and I both did some TV and, and radio work. Um, Friday, we had a press conference, which unfortunately was cut short um, due to a medical emergency. We can report that everyone is, is perfectly fine now. Um, everyone is, is, is okay, but a scary, scary. I think, um, a, a scary couple of minutes there at the press conference. Um, Angie and I got back to work later that day. And then again, like Angie said, went to the pep rally, which offered a great networking opportunity, uh, to meet some of the Beaver Blitz members, but also, um, you know, parents and, and other fans. That's one part of the job that Angie, you and I never take for granted is, is the opportunity to interact with people around this program, um. And again, I think the fact that it's kind of a, a vacation and a, a bowl game and a celebration of a 10 win season, everybody was in great spirits and um, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, we had my kids there, which Vegas is not a kid, a uh, normal kid spot. They've never been, I have a 17 and a 15 year old, um, but they came. And uh, so that Thursday we spent, we did like nine or 10 miles walking, just really just taking them. I mean, there's so much to see with the Bellagio and the Venetian and, kind of walking that, you know, kind of that way. Um, but it was fun. But uh, my 17-year-old actually went to the pep rally. 15-year-old stayed behind. And the, the best story is we're sitting there at that bar afterward. Carter, I think it was before you showed up. And the 17-year-old gets a text. He doesn't text his dad or I. He texts big brother and says, can you come help me? Because I just locked myself out of my room. He was talking to his friends, FaceTiming, and walked down the hall to get ice and didn't bring a, a card, key card with him. So Kind of a, a nice learning experience for the 15 year old, but um, just a fun time. I, the boys were at the game. Carter, Eric, and I were up in the press box. They were kind of down below us, but um, just a super fun time. And like you said, meeting the parents and the and the Beaver fans, and there's nobody better um, than Beaver fans. I'll just I'll just say that nobody better than Beaver fans, and you can interact with them at BeaverBlitz.com. Be sure to get into the lodge if if you're not an active member of beaverblitz.com you're missing out because that is uh that is the place to be really for conversations around the oregon state football program angie and i are always dropping our tidbits that we learn uh recruiting notes are, are all over the place right now with angie working the phones uh, beaverblitz.com again the place to be for oregon state football coverage and going into the winter we're picking up the basketball and baseball coverage as well so no shortage of content coming on the Oregon State football season. That was 10 wins. We're going to recap all of it over the next few months. Spring football, again, right around the corner, Angie. It always creeps up on us. Um, so there is no downtime, especially with this being the peak of recruiting season. Yeah, this is this is seriously crazy time right now. So I was just checking. Um, I just posted a whole bunch of notes Monday, recruiting notes. So you want to get there. Um, portal news, it, it's kind of funny because... Like I said, been doing this 17 years, so I've got some good uh, good contacts and, and good sources. So, um, in fact, I had some sources that a couple other sites were calling me while we were in Vegas because a couple other 24-7 sites had not heard what we were reporting. So get over into the lodge. 
guarantee um, it's, it's great community and, and some good info too from time to time. From time to time, we have some good stuff. Every now and then. Every uh, now you can and also then. take 50% off an annual membership right now. That includes a complimentary Paramount Plus subscription. So there is, yes. again, no better time to join than right now. A lot it's of like two hundred dollars, VI... over two hundred dollars in value, you get for fifty three seventy. I think is what it works out it's to. It's a great value. A, a lot of our recruiting content is behind the paywall. Uh, so if you want Angie's great insight and and some of the uh, connections she's made and and contacts she has built, um, there is no better place for sourced information on Oregon State recruiting. And a lot of that again behind the paywall. So make sure to take advantage of this fifty percent off annual deal while it lasts. And head to beaverblitz.com for coverage of Oregon State football. All right, Angie, we have to talk about the game itself now because we've spent a half hour yes. talking about our experience <laughs> in Vegas and what this game means. But of course, there was a game to be played and there are all sorts of great tidbits from this thing. Uh, again, a, a 30 to three win. Um, no shortage of, of good stuff to talk about. We'll do some stats. Um, again, some, some more superlatives that came from this game. And then we'll highlight a couple of the key plays and some that you know, I, I think are, are worthy of discussion uh, before we get out of here. But we start, Angie, with the 30-3 to score being nearly the first shutout of a Florida football team since 1988. It was the nation's longest streak, and it ended with 37 seconds left in the game. The 27-point margin of victory is also just the fourth largest margin of victory for Oregon State in 2022, which I think is really notable because, again, you go back a couple of years, Oregon State was losing games by 27 and, and being blown out. And, you know, Oregon State was on the receiving end of, of these blowouts. And and like I think Jack Cleto and Jaden Grant said after the game, quitting in the yeah. middle of the game. Yeah. Um, but they they flipped the script so many times this year that you see a 27-point victory is just the fourth largest margin of victory. Uh, again, I think a testament to where this program is at, that it's now dealing out blowouts rather than receiving them. What did you think of that going for the field goal? Did you think it was kind of a crappy thing to do or would you have done the same thing? Yeah. So <laughs> as I was putting together the, the game flow section of our rundown, I said, all right, this is, this is, this discussion is probably going to pop up before we get to the very end of the show. Um, I have seen a lot of other media covering Oregon state and, and media that was tuned into this bowl um, kind of trashing Florida for for the decision, you know, to take the three points there at the end and, and preserve the the streak. Say what you want about you know not taking the the loss like a quote unquote like a man, man or you know yeah. all all of these all of these things. I think if I was in Billy Napier's shoes, I'd do the same thing. And I, I think Florida fans again, like you know, Florida fans are probably happy that that streak's still intact. Um, Again, it's it's reps for your kicker. We saw Oregon State do a similar thing at Arizona State. The Beavers were up by a ton. Normally, you see teams take a knee when they get down to the goal line with a few seconds left. They sent Everett Hayes out there to get another rep. Like this is something. Like this isn't out of the ordinary. I think the fact that there was a zero on the scoreboard um, in, increases the discussion about it. But if Florida was down thirty to seven and they kicked a field goal, nobody would be talking about it. No, no. You know, so again, I, I think this is just something that happens in football games, and the fact that it did preserve a streak by them deciding to kick it is why it's getting talked about. Um, but I have no issue whatsoever. Yeah, I, I think I mean, it's, I, I think that's a coaching decision that, that frankly, most coaches would, would make. Well, and, and it is such a long streak that I think, and Florida is such a place that 
you know, you've got to, he's got to be thinking about career uh, longevity as well. So you don't want to be the guy who the streak ends. And then two years down the road, if you haven't flipped things around as fast as, as Florida administrators would have liked, then that's just kind of the icing on the cake that, well, you also broke the streak. So I don't, yeah, I don't, I mean, it's kind of silly, but I just had to ask you about that because we haven't talked about that. Yeah, no, I, I think in the moment we were like, really, dude? Like, well, we were, I missed it all because we were heading down to the field. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they were, they were moving the ball when we left, but yeah, we didn't see the actual kick. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the time you say, well, okay, you know, why not play for the touchdown? You're down yeah. by so much, anyways. But I, again, I like, I totally understand it. Again, like you said, Angie, the optics. Touchdown. <laughs> yeah. I know it's it's fourth and what, like twenty at the time yeah. too. So yeah. that was what Billy Napier said. I mean, the odds of us even converting it if we went for yeah. or low. Um, so yeah, no, I I don't have any issue with it. We got to move on and, and touch on some yes. of the other statistics that came from this game and and some of the storylines behind them. I think the rushing yard total, though, we need to talk about that because that is crazy. Yeah. That's where I want to start. In the total yeah. yards, Oregon State dominates 353 to 219, but that discrepancy was was mostly a product of what the Beavers did on the ground, offensively and defensively. Florida entered the game with one of the nation's best rushing attacks. It was held to its lowest total of the season at 39 yards. Oregon State outgained the Gators on the ground 164 to 39. The Gators ran for 1.2 yards per carry. Again, that so is crazy. their lowest number of the season and, and one of the lowest numbers Oregon State has held an opponent to in quite some time. Montreal Johnson Jr. and Trevor Etienne had 14 yards each. Jack Miller III, the, uh, the quarterback who stepped in with 13 rushing yards and Ricky Pearsall with negative two to round out the 39. Um, Angie, one of the best defensive performances up front that I have seen from an Oregon state team in a long time. And we've said that a lot this season, but this one felt a little bit different. Their run game is, I mean, you look at ETN alone and he's, I mean, a force. I, I think this may be the best defensive performance all season, 39 yards rushing. That is, that is bananas. The one number that I found when I was kind of digging through the stats, sometimes, you know, I'll, We'll go really in depth through the stat book to find things that stand out when we record this. And here's one for you. Montrell Johnson Jr. had a 14 yard run in this game. Okay. He finished the game with 14, 14 yards minutes. on 11 carries. So if you look at the other 10 outside of that 14 yard run, one yard gain, two yard loss, three yard gain, two yard loss, one yard gain, four yard loss. Like Oregon State, again, was in the backfield so many times and and preventing anything as far as gaps are related impressive to see Oregon State go toe to toe against what you and I said was one of the better offensive lines the Beavers have faced this year and and to not allow anything on the ground it, crazy like I said again against you know Florida's O-line is is no slouch so um yeah crazy crazy good um and typically, if you keep running, you're going to wear down the defensive line. And it didn't happen. That defensive front seven for Oregon State constantly just were stuffing them in the backfield. On the flip side, I think Oregon State did wear down the Florida defensive front, which yes. is not great. Okay, like Florida entered this game as one of the worst run defenses in the country. But again, the physicality, the athleticism on that D-line, we saw it kind of rear its head a few times. Um, but the Beavers still gashed the Gators to, to 164 yards on the ground, which is below the season average for the Beavers. But still, I think 
you know, if you go into this game saying, all right, Oregon State's going to run for 160 to 170 yards, um, you're probably going to feel good about it. Especially with Martinez going out pretty early with that stinger. Yeah, did not return. Um, and in his absence, Deshaun Fenwick carried the ball 21 times for 107 yards. Um, far and away, the the game high total there. I think the next highest rusher was 17, uh, which was Jack Coletto yeah. on two carries. So uh, Deshaun Fenwick, the player in, in the running game for either side. You mentioned Damian Martinez leaving with the injury. He had three carries for 12 yards before leaving. And one thing that that is kind of disappointing about this for Martinez's case is he was on the verge of a thousand yards, um, which we would have looked at as a, a major accomplishment for a true freshman to step in who didn't even start the year as the starter um, to rack up a thousand yards for the season. He finishes uh, somewhere around 30 to 50 yards short, I believe. So, uh, you know, uh, it's a, it's a mark that he misses out on, but I don't think that detracts from the season that Damien Martinez had. Yeah. Great season. Passing, it was a little more close. Or it, was, it was closer. 189 yards for the Beavers to 180 for the Gators. Goldbranson had, he was 12 of 19 for 165, one TD, um, and five carries for 15 yards and a TD. What Did you think this was Ben Goldbranson's best game? I didn't think it was his best game. Um, I thought it was up there. He had a couple down the stretch of the regular season. You know, we talked about, week over week, that Cal game and then the ASU game, you know, we said, okay, well, this was his best game of yeah. his career. And then this was. And so I think by the end there, you know, that ASU game, I think is still like the pinnacle of, of what Ben Goldbranson can provide. Um, but he was named the MVP of the Las Vegas Bowl with a, a solid line. Um, I, I think, you know, we, we might've been a little surprised to see him win it. But, Are you going to you know, tell if, us who you voted for? I, I'll tell you who I voted for. Yeah, I'll be transparent about it. I voted for Silas Bolden. I did as well. Um, I voted for Silas Bolden, who finished the game uh, six catches, 99 yards, one TD, um, but seriously had a play where he laid out. I, I looked at you, Carter, and I said, that looks like a Brandon Cooks catch when yeah. he laid out for that one um, and then caught it and just hit the ground. It, it was Brandon Cooks-esque. Yeah, uh, a player wearing number seven, no seven much for too. Oregon yeah, State, a 34-yard yeah. diving catch set up the first touchdown of the game uh, was, I, I think in my opinion, one of the plays of the game um, and, and just another kind of another feather in the cap for Silas Bolden of those diving catches he's made um, this year. Oregon state went with a two quarterback system in this game and Tristan Jebbia actually completed five of six passes, which is pretty, pretty decent. Uh, 24 yards, not the most efficient. And he took a 12 yard sack, but he comes in for the two series. Uh, Angie, we knew that the first one in, well, we didn't know at the time, but we yeah. learned that the first one was part of the game plan that he was going to get the third series. Um, but when he came out for the fourth one, you and I were both a little bit surprised. But then uh, Ben Goldbranson came back in and, and quarterbacked the Beavers the rest of the way. But let's talk about Tristan Jebbia's cameo in the Las Vegas Bowl and and kind of how cool it is to see him go out on top with a performance like this after everything he's been through in his career. Absolutely. and I And I think it was... And Ben Goldbranson has said, went publicly too, and just said he thought they talked about it before the game. And, you know, Coach Smith said he thought that Tristan had been having probably the best month of practice that he's seen. He was throwing the ball really well um, and kind of, and they spoke to Ben about it. And Ben was like, absolutely, you know, that Tristan had been this mentor for him, always coaching him up um, and wanted to get him the, the chance as well. Um, yeah, I thought it was great to see. And yeah, he's been through a lot with that uh, hamstring injury. So to get him back in, um, let him 
have have a little curtain call there was was pretty cool to see. Back on the receiving side for Oregon State, John Dunmore with a bit of a breakout performance. Uh, Oregon State was out was without Anthony Gould and Trayshawn Harrison at the wide receiver position, so he knew somebody was going to have to step up. Uh, Silas Bolden for one, uh, but John Dunmore stepped up as well as the second leading receiver with five catches for 42 yards. Um, I, I think a look into the future a little bit. You know, we'll probably predict that John Dunmore is on the two deep next year as as one of those rotation guys at the wide receiver position. Do you feel like he, you know, put on a, a display of what he might provide next year to this offense? I did. And you know what I really liked watching him was just his first step right off the line. He was able yeah. to, he was quick off the line. Um, I'm excited to see, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we've been talking in the lodge about Oregon State's need for potentially a, a wide receiver from the portal. And I don't think that's a priority for the coaches because I see a, a Dunmore, Jimmy Valson, Silas Bolden, and then the new guys, the new freshmen coming in, you know, you have, uh, Reddix and Montrell Hatton coming in in January. So I think they really, well, actually in Zachary Card as well. So you have these guys coming in early. Um, they, they really like what they have in those young guys. Yeah. I think we've talked about the depth in the wide receiver room being a bit of a question mark, but there is one thing at Oregon state that always reigns true and it's player development. Mm-hmm. Um, and with guys like Anthony Gould and Silas Bolden who have stepped up as redshirt sophomores, redshirt juniors, you know, um, guys who might've been lower on the depth chart didn't get many opportunities early in their career and now are some of the leading receivers on the team i can see john dunmore being one of those guys a former four-star recruit transferred in from penn state a big time program i think with a couple of years of development under his belt we could start to see him tap into a lot of that potential next year um on the flip side again angie the defense for oregon state stepping up big and and defending jack miller the third and his first career start uh, to the tune of 13 of 22 passing, which is, you know, it's about 59%, nothing great. Um, and of course, you know, Florida not scoring until the very end. You see that the that Florida wasn't able to sustain drives. Um, 180 passing yards for Miller. He did beat the Beavers on the ground a little bit with his 37 yeah. sack adjusted rushing yards. Um, and then Ricky Pearsall leads the way in the receiving department for Florida with four catches and 65 yards. How did you feel like the pass defense showed up for Oregon State? Because I felt like it was at times a little bend, but don't break. Um, yeah. But also, again, coming up with big plays and, and big times. And a lot of that was in, in the sack department. I, I agree. I, I, I think the story of this game is really for the defense is, is when you look at tackles for loss and sacks. Oregon yeah. State had 11 tackles for loss, four sacks. Best game by far for them in getting getting to the backfield and that really that set the tone for everything that set the tone for passing that set the tone for running um florida really couldn't get anything established except really that last drive that they they drove it down the field um for that field goal that was the only real even chance they moved the ball much so um past if i mean you, you're looking at you didn't have rajon Wright. he had declared for the nfl so Jaden robinson stepped in i i thought he had a pretty good game for his first start ever as a beave um, we saw that uh, corner blitz, delayed mm-hmm. corner blitz. That was was kind of fun to see. Um, like I said, he'll he'll take some lumps, but um, I didn't think Alex Austin had his best game. But um, that you know overall. But again, they weren't. It it wasn't really ever in doubt. It was never a question. So um, you know, every time you thought they might do something, there'd be a sack or they're you know pushing back even further. So um, yeah, I don't think it was. I, I wouldn't say pass defense was bad. It just um, but I do think the the eleven sack or eleven uh, tackles for loss and four sacks was the story of the game. 
Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit. So it's the most tackles for loss in a single game for Oregon State in 2022. I think they had a 10 or 11 in 21. Um, but it's also the second most sacks of the season. They had six against Washington State, uh, getting to Cam Ward like crazy. And they get to Jack Miller uh, with four, which again, you know, against a Florida offensive line that is known as being physical and has um, Osiris Torrance, I believe, uh, one of the best linemen in the country. The Beavers getting into the backfield at at a rate essentially unmatched over the last couple of years. Um, but then on the other side, Oregon State allows the third lowest tackle for loss total by an opponent this year, which mm-hmm. we knew was a possibility. Florida's defensive front, not the strongest in the SEC. Um, but uh, again, anytime you're playing an opponent in that part of the country, they have a different caliber of player, regardless of what the record might suggest. Um, on the defensive side, again, for Oregon State, a couple of players that we should highlight here for their efforts getting into the backfield. Kyrie Fisher-Morris with three tackles for loss. You don't see that very often. Uh, Omar Spates with two, and then Sione Lolohea with one and a half. Lolohea is a player who I think next year is going to be one of the stars on this Oregon State defense. He might be the guy in that front seven. Yeah, Sione Lolohea, seriously. And that that one where he ran that guy down, I can't... I. We were up so high, I don't remember who exactly he ran down for a tackle for loss, but he came out of nowhere um, just to see that. And then, yes, Kyrie Fisher having his last game as a Beave, huge game for him. Omar Spates, it may be his last game. He has not announced whether he'll be going to the NFL or coming back, but big game from those middle linebackers. In the turnover department, nothing really to speak of. Uh, zero turnovers on either side, but um, a, a couple of plays that, kind of acted as turnovers, I guess. You had Florida turning it over on downs twice, which again, you go back to the last two games for Oregon State, forcing seven turnovers on downs, five against Oregon, two against Florida. That's essentially a takeaway. Uh, The Beavers also blocked a punt and returned it or or fielded it at the seven-yard line and setting up a touchdown. Florida responded with a a blocked field goal um, at the end of the first half. The Gators also fumbled twice, but neither of them were recovered. Uh, And then Oregon State broke up two passes, one of them being nearly a pick six on that first drive by Ryan Cooper Jr. Oh, it was like right there. Yeah. So technically no turnovers in the books, but it felt like Oregon State came away um, pretty much victorious in that department, even without actually notching a legitimate takeaway. Yeah. Like you said, turnovers and downs and that block punt, I consider those all three turnovers. So, but I don't, I'm not in the stat book as a turnover. I get it. All right, I've got the game flow here, and we don't want to spend too much time on it because we have already actually kind of dived into a lot of these plays. Um, but some of the the key plays and and series and exchanges that stood out to us here will highlight. Um, so the game starts with a couple of three three and outs. Um, but on Oregon State's first drive, the three and out, Luke Losher. We have to talk about Luke yeah. Losher here. Fifty nine yard uh, a fifty nine yard punt on his first one, and and that was not it as far as absolutely blasting the ball. Um, I, I've been asked multiple times, like, like, what does that look like? You know, it looks like Oregon state was stopped around what its own 20 yard line and the yeah. ball ends up on the other 20. Um, remarkable what Oregon state yeah. has gotten from its punters over the last couple of years with Daniel Rodriguez handing it off to Luke Losher and now Josh green being next in line. There's not much of a drop off between Losher and green from what we've seen in practice. Yeah. So I mean, is, is Oregon State punter you? I, I don't know, but Pat McAfee in the booth had to have had a field day. Yeah, I, I can't wait punters. to hear about what he has to say about the punters. Um, so not only did did Losher have two booming punts, 
he was a great actor on that fake punt yeah. where he acted like it went over his head, but it actually was a direct snap to Coletto for the first down. Yeah, uh, that one came later in the game. We'll highlight that as we run through this uh, chronologically. Oregon State's next possession, Tajon Lindsay runs it in for the first touchdown of the game. It was an eight-yarder. Uh, but one thing that will go unsung and, and will never be talked about from that play is the lead block by Brandon yeah. Kipper, who plays on the right side of the line, moved over to the, or, you know, um, pulled over to the left as a lead blocker. And Lindsay following him with his arm on his back, that's like textbook end around lead blocking. I thought that was a perfectly drawn up and perfectly executed play. And I know, Angie, you being a fan of the fly motion, you were calling for more of it after you saw how I, well I was. And, and you, like you said, that was perfect. I mean, he did. Tyjon had his hand on Kipper's back and just like lead big fella, get me there. So it, it was beautiful to see. Um, and then when he got right down to the goal line, he kind of spun up around Kipper and Kipper made one last block and, and Tyjon was in. It was beautiful. Yes. I like the fly motion. I think it's rerun all the time personally, but that's, that's it for another day. Oregon State's next points came in the middle of the second quarter when Everett Hayes hit a 27-yard field goal. It was an opportunity for Oregon State to get into the end zone again, but the Beavers came up short. They converted on fourth down, but it was called back for a false start, and then they had to settle for three points. Um, but the Beavers getting up by two scores there. Oregon State had enough points to win this, really, from the first touchdown. Um, but with it being a two-score game midway through the second quarter, Florida, in hindsight, never had a chance from that point forward. No, but it, it felt like Oregon State was kind of um, kind of stymieing themselves in that first half. I, I felt like it never felt in question. It just felt like Oregon State was kind of stubbing their toe until until we got to the third quarter. On the ensuing drive, Florida went three and out, and it ended with uh, Andrew Chatfield Jr. sacking Jack Miller the third for a ten yard loss. And again, one of the themes of the game: uh, Oregon State sacking the quarterback for big losses. I, I can't remember if that one was, was on second or third down. The Beavers had a couple of third down sacks, but the highlight of that play was not Chatfield getting into the backfield, sacking him for a huge loss, but throwing a Gator chump to the Florida sideline. His old team, mind you, in celebration was uh, one of the best troll jobs I have seen this football season. Yeah, and and I, I ran into Andrew down in the field after the game, and boy, he was fired up. Mm -hmm. You know, to go and do that to your old team, that that, that was a big one for him. Andrew Chatfield, a uh, a fan of cookies and cream ice cream. Also, I can yeah. I can report here uh, after seeing him getting ice cream at the team hotel a couple of days ago. So um, that's the kind of stuff you get from from Beaver Blitz right there. The, the favorite <laughs> ice cream flavors of, of players. Uh, the, the the this the first half ends with Oregon State missing a field goal. It was a, a 33 yarder from Everett Hayes that was blocked. He made it the first time, but then um, of, of course you know Florida goes with the the timeout to ice the kicker. Second try is blocked and actually returned near midfield. There was a chance Florida was going to return that for yeah. a touchdown. Yeah, and, and Hayes tried to stop him, but uh, kind of slowed him a little bit till the cavalry could come in. Opening the second half, this is where Oregon State really just, I, I think, broke this thing wide yeah. open. Uh, Silas Bolden, wide open in the end zone across the middle, 15-yard touchdown on the first drive of the half. Uh, but leading up to that, it was the fake punt that you talked about yeah. where Jack Coletto, of course it's Jack Coletto uh, lining up as, as one of the man, I, I don't even know what you call it, but I, I always call them the blockers for the punter. Um, you know, kind of that wall that they set yeah. up direct snap to Coletto. He runs for 11 yards, picks up the first down uh, and then the Beavers score on that 15 yard touchdown. But then again, special teams, Oregon state winning in all three phases. Yeah. We see special teams pop up again 
on the very next drive, Oregon State blocks a Florida punt. It's Coletto again blocking the punt, and then Skylar Thomas recovering it um, at, at the seven-yard line to set up Ben Goldbranson's seven-yard touchdown draw. Two touchdowns and less than two minutes for Oregon State and a blocked punt in there. That was where this game really flipped on its head and, and Oregon State broke it wide open. Yeah, yeah. From then, it was it was like you could just see Florida kind of just give up. The Beavers did score one more time as Jam Griffin uh, ran it in on a, a two-yard touchdown that was really impressive, him fighting through contact, spinning out of it, um, and getting into the end zone. And then again, a, a Gator Chomp in the end zone uh, as, as the cherry on top. There were lots of Gator Chomps. From the Beaver sideline. Yeah. Jam Griffin, um, again, a player who I think we're going to look to next year as, as one of the key players on this team, even though he's out of position with so much talent. Damian yeah. Martinez, Deshaun Fenwick, Trey Lowe even has some eligibility left. We'll see what that running back room looks like next year, but that run by Jam Griffin and the season that he has put together, um, really a, a key part of this team. And, and being somebody who, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is from the state of Florida, played at Georgia Tech. Yeah. Um, very familiar with with the Gator program. Yes, absolutely. Uh, nothing really else to to discuss as far as the um, the notable plays go. We already talked about the the field goal at the end, um, and then Oregon State kneeled it with 37 seconds left to to put the finishing touches on it. Angie, a 10 win season. You and I were there for all of it. Um, Anything else you want to touch on from this game before we preview what's ahead at Beaver Blitz over the next, what, nine months until football? Yeah, no, I, I just, I mean, there's so much about this game and I think we're going to look back in a, in a year or five or 10 and just talk about how monumentally special that game was, how monumentally special guys like Jack Coletto, Jaden Grant were to this program in the, in the rebuilding. And uh, you guys just witnessed history. Third time ever Oregon State has 10 wins. Um, Huge, 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 huge. Yeah, let that sink in a little bit. I, I think it, it hit a couple of us after the game um, that you know we had we witnessed Oregon State completely turn itself around from one of the bottom dwellers, not only in the Pac-12 but in college football, mm-hmm. into a potentially top ten team at the end of this season and a, a team that next year is going to be competing for a Pac-12 title uh, when the college football playoff expands to twelve teams could be in that conversation two years from now. Remarkable what Oregon State has done on the football field within that program at the Valley Football Center with Jonathan Smith at the helm. We are looking so forward to covering it over the next few years and and seeing what the future holds for the program. It's going to be fun. And there's so much more at Beaver Blitz. So um, I know Carter's mentioned it. Now is the time we are Gosh, less than, uh, what, 36 hours away from signing day. Um, Early signing period has become the quote-unquote big signing day um, because February has turned into more of a a walk-on signing day. So it is going to be a busy, busy Wednesday. I have not seen Oregon State have this many prospects still kind of in the hunt in years. So um, get to the lodge. I've been adding um, updates into the lodge about who who Oregon State is in the mix with, whether that be Portal, whether that be uh, JUCO, Carter, there's a lot going on, um, but 50% off right now, as Carter mentioned. So you can get a full year of Beaver Blitz plus access to Paramount Plus. And this is a new, this is a special, special promo um, to celebrate uh, Maverick Top Gun hitting Paramount Plus here this week. 50% off instant access to Paramount. That gets you a full year of both for $53.70. We'd love to have you. We've grown a ton over the past uh three weeks, four weeks, and we'd love to have you join the lodge as well. 
And with this being the last episode of the damn podcast for uh, the official, you know, uh, official football season, we're, we're going to talk more football uh, in, in the weeks to come. But this is the end of the football season for us. This what now 14, 15, 16 week endeavor. Yes. Um, it's an opportunity again to thank everybody who has who has joined us and and who has helped us prop this up um, to being a, a, a prominent uh, podcast covering Oregon State and of course getting us at, at Beaver Blitz to an all time high subscriber count and um, the interactions at at Beaver Blitz have uh, again never been this in depth and and you know that the community has never been this big so we cannot thank everybody enough uh, for helping us grow across all of our channels. Um, and, and we really do appreciate it. We we are so glad to have everybody on board. And the conversations, again, o- only get better as Oregon State continues to improve on the football field. Angie's going to have tons of content on the site this week covering early signing period. I'll be rack- wrapping up the 2022 football season. And Angie, the two of us are going to be doing that for a while. Yeah. Um, over yeah. the next few weeks and months. Like I said earlier, basketball coverage is going to be ramping back up. Pac-12 play only a couple of weeks away. And the podcast isn't going away, but our winter schedule is still a little bit to be determined. We'll probably talk signing day later in the week. Um, but after that, uh, it's it's anyone's guess. We'll, we'll put together a plan there, and um, hopefully uh, you'll all stay tuned for updates on on what the, uh, <laughs> what the immediate future holds for the damn podcast. But again, we're not going anywhere. We're going to do our best uh, to maintain some of, somewhat of a, a consistent schedule going forward. Um, but Angie, let's let's plan on coming back in a few days to recap signing day because I know there's going to be a ton of stuff to talk about, and um, who knows, maybe the transfer portal will will um, provide us some news to discuss in in the coming days and weeks as well. Sounds great. Until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado One. You can follow me at Carter Baines, and we'll talk to you after signing day for another episode of the Damn Podcast. Mm-hmm.